Thanks for listening to another episode of The Giving Leader. I'm Phil Ling. I'm the host and also the founder of The Giving Church, which sponsors our podcast. Thank you to thousands of you that have been listening. I'm excited about who we have as our guest this week. Um, it's, it, reason is because it's a little different. It's Jeff McDaniel. Jeff's a 25-year career military man that literally has been stationed all over the world. But in that role, he also is a Christian, and he shares his faith. And because of his view on discipleship, house churches, church planting, and the realization that the Great Commission says, as you're going into all the world, so whatever your walk of life is, his happens to be military, use that as the opportunity. That's what he's been doing. And so, for example, in West Africa, over a three-year period, they helped establish a 1,000 house churches and baptized 10,000 people, all while being paid by Uncle Sam to be a military person. Well, that's our guest today, Jeff McDaniel. Thanks for tuning in and listening for another episode of The Giving Leader. I'm Phil Ling. I'm the host of The Giving Leader, founder as well, also the founder of The Giving Church. So if you want to know more about what we do, go to thegivingchurch.com. There's a book there you can download and all kinds of cool stuff. But we're jazzed to be into our second season of our podcast that thousands of you have been downloading and listening to. And I've been sharing uh, with just leaders that I run into around the country and around my, my career. Uh, a lot of clients, a lot of folks and friends, and and they all share this. They are godly folks that are leading in their lives and affecting other lives around them through that leadership. And since I think everything begins and ends on generosity of life, that's what we call it, the giving leader. So here, here's the deal for today. Uh, Jeff McDaniel is with me. Jeff is career military. Uh, I have known Jeff for a, a few years now, just got back from sharing two days of, of workshops with him at um, Exponential in Orlando. So if you're one of those church planter dudes at Expo, then you, you got to meet Jeff if you were with us in our pre-contract where we partner with Passion for Planting and Brett Andrews and the gang and deal with all those church planters. And we had literally standing room only in our workshops. And I'd like to say it's because I am brilliant, but I think they like Jeff's content even a little more. Jeff, I said he's career military. Here's the reason. For all the years that I was a pastor dude, whenever I got to the Great Commission and I would talk about that section of scripture, I would use the original language. It says go into all the world, but it actually translates as you're going into all the world. And Jeff, through his life in the military, has been all over the world and still does that. But while he's there, he has done the, done the audacious, which is to help plant churches and house churches and baptize zillions of folks uh, from multiple countries in Africa, where it's staggering numbers like a thousand house churches and 10,000 baptisms over a period of a few years. And then now that he's stationed back in the United States, he's actually been doing that there as well. He lives in Northern Virginia, and I am honored to have him as a guest. Jeff, how are you? Hey, Phil. I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Where in the world are you today? Uh, I'm in D.C. right now. Coronavirus has uh, stopped my travels for a little bit. Though um, I, I, I do like that the government uh, has a 30-day quarantine if you go into one of those zones. So I have been trying my hardest to get into the <laughs> one, any one of them, but uh, they, they, they sniff it out every time I put in for travel to one of those places. It's like, yeah, I would like to go there and uh, hopefully my per diem's good. 
<laughs> right. Yeah. Like I, you're, you're telling me I can get a trip to Italy and 30 days off of work done. Where do I sign up for that? Uh, okay. Well, get, first of all, for all those that are listening, give me just a little bit of thumbnail sketch. How'd you get in the military? What made you go that track? Um, so I knew I wanted to join the military, uh, early on. I was going to join the Air Force, but literally my, my junior year of high school, another guy had joined the Army National Guard, and I saw the recruiter bring a uniform in, and I was sold. I just wanted a uniform, so I joined the Army, and I've been in it ever since, 25 years now. 25 years, and uh, so take me through that. Did you know when you started, like as a young man, I'm going to do this as a career, or did, was there a switch at some point where you said, you know what, I'm going to stick this out? Yeah, so there there was a switch. Um, I was fully planning on getting out. Um, I was in Iraq. Uh, I I was on my first tour in Iraq and um, started praying about it, which is always like you never know what's going to come out of that, right? That's uh, you never know what you're going to get. So I I started praying like I'm planning on getting out, but God, uh, what do you want? And um, I had scripture fall on my heart really heavy. And, and I'm thinking like, I'm about nine months into a 15 month deployment at this time. And I'm thinking, how in the world am I going to tell my wife who's at home without her husband now for nine months and, you know, a bunch more to still go, how am I going to tell her like, Hey, let's do this for the long haul. And so I asked God about that one. Like, Hey, could you start to prep her? And, um, the next phone call I, I said, Hey honey, I've got something I really need to tell you. Um, and she goes, yeah, me too. I need, I need to tell you something. And I said, all right, all right, you go first. And, uh, little did I know she was at home and God had put on her heart that we needed to stay in. And she's thinking, how in the world am I going to tell my husband <laughs> who's over there getting blown up that I want him to stay in. And so God had given us the same scripture and we shared it with each other. And we were overjoyed that God had spoken and called us to full time, like just stay in the military and make disciples where we were at. And you know, like it was God because we were overjoyed and I had to get off the phone because we were receiving incoming and she could hear it <laughs> like blowing up. And I'm like, I got to go, but man, this is amazing. God's doing great things. And she was excited. So when you can get blown up and still be excited with your wife that God's working, you know, that's the Holy Spirit working. Now, okay. So as a novice like me, it, 15 months seems like a long deployment. Is that, was that normal? No, that was a swift kick in the teeth right there. So um, I had gone over, it was going to be a 12 month deployment, but this was like at the height of the surge. And uh, literally like a month and a half after we had gotten into Iraq, we got word that we were getting extended. And, and so it ended up being a 15 month deployment. And so your, your military career goes along, you make some, some uh, uh, I assume, and I don't want to read too much in it just because I know some of your story, that, that you had some opportunities come your way in the military, like say, hey, Jeff, we see some potential. We'd like you to get on this track. Yeah, absolutely. Um, <clears throat> so very early on, um, I, I linked up with uh, some, some guys at Fort Benning who um, invited me. I was going through a really rough time in life and uh, got word that there were some dudes who were moving people into their house so that they could disciple them 24-7. Ended up being the Navigator's Ministry. So uh, I jumped on board with that. And um, I had grown up in the church, but really just learned how to play the church game. And I mean, I, I was smart on the Bible and everything, but I just, I lived like a turd all the time, right? <laughs> um, and so 
it, it was really when somebody took that level of investment in me and I got to just watch a new way to experience God and to live, live my faith and then invite other people to walk in my faith with me. That's where I started to learn that. And just by walking in my faith in my job, the Lord just started open up, opening up doors. And um, yeah, he's definitely taken me to some very unique places and unique assignments in the military. Um, okay. So one of the things that I, I, I know you well enough that you're not a braggy guy, but there's a lot of people listening and say, okay, Justin, the military has been in a long time. Um, but you've, you've accomplished a lot in the military and, and you have been, you know, people shooting at you and blowing you up and stuff. Um, that because of that, you're in some, some hot spots. So you're in Africa for a period of time. Were you there like three years, five years? I can't remember. Uh, two, two year assignment with my family in West Africa. Okay. So two year assignment with your, with your family, mm-hmm. um, which to me, I'm, I'm like thinking that's a hard sell with a wife. <laughs> hey, you want to go to Africa? <laughs> you know, she, uh, she, she likes to tell us when she was a kid, she said, God, I'll go anywhere. Just don't send me to Africa. <laughs> so God sent us there as diplomats. So that's, that's God's sense of humor. Okay. So, and for those that are listening, cause you're, you are in the military, but you, you went on a diplomatic track and you're even working on a, a, a PhD in, in leadership now. Um, mm-hmm. and which it's interesting cause the military is allowing you to do that at Liberty. Right. Which is, I think kind of cool. Right. Um, but you're, you're in Africa. And one of the things I like to r- rattle off is that while you're there, you help establish about, through folks that you disciple a thousand house churches and baptize 10,000 people. Uh, how, where, how does that even start? Mm-hmm. So um, it, it's, it's definitely counterintuitive, but if we, if we just look at what Jesus did and, and like everybody comes back to that, right. And, and we all know how to say it and we know it informationally, but it's something else to actually practice what Jesus did because when he took 12, he went smaller and he invested a lot into a few. Um, often in, in ministry, we don't have the patience for that. We're ready to get up and jump and do the next thing. But what I did in, in Africa was um, within the first two to three months, the core 10 to 15 guys that I had were the same 10 to 15 guys that stayed with me throughout the whole, the whole time. And, and as we grew generationally, like that first group of guys started reaching out and they each had their own groups that they were leading. Um, it just continued to multiply. The way we trained was different. So it started immediately where I was investing in them in just how to live and how to experience God on a one-on-one basis, them with God. But as it grew, I needed to train them how to be a parent, how to train someone else to have the same experience with God. And as that went, then my training with my 10, it, it changed as to how to train to be a grandparent. Like how do you, when, when their kids, spiritual kids are multiplying, then the, the, the training that I was doing, it, it changed and it just morphed. So it, I liken it to a family. Um, Often in, in churches, we have the divide and conquer mentality where grow your group to a certain size and then split it in half. Now you have two groups and that's how we multiply. But in right. a family, that's a divorce. And that might happen once, but that sucks. And you're not going to do it again. But if you look at it as a family where I'm dad and I stay dad, even when they become dad, I become granddad. 
we don't, we don't leave. We continue to multiply. And I just continue to disciple them in different ways as the family grows. Okay. So when, when you're in Africa, cause I, eventually I want to talk about North America when you come back here too, but yeah. when you're in Africa, uh, the folks that you're discipling and they're discipling, you're starting to build that uh, generations that you talk about. Uh, are they expats? Are they military? Are they indigenous to the area? I mean, who are these folks? Yeah. So it was, it was everything. Um, so one of my mentors, Yoda, Bill, um, Bill Smith, he's, I think he's like 170 now. I'm not sure. Uh, he's up there. Um, but Bill and I were talking and we were looking at different, uh, disciple networks. And one of the things Bill pointed out is you can really see when man's hand is in it and we have a man strategy because you can really follow the relational networks and you see where it's all connected. But when the Holy Spirit's leading it, there's just jumps all over and there's not a, a logical connection between people, right? So um, with, with what we're doing, one example of that is um, I was training my guys on a, a, a particular skill, just how to initiate conversations on the street. And so we used a really simple bridge tool. It was a question, um, if God was going to do a miracle in your life today, what would you want that miracle to be, right? And so I trained them on that. And then I told them, let's go out on the street, right? Close your Bibles. Let's go out. Let's go practice this. I want you to watch me do it. So I went first. And the first guy that I came up to said, if God was going to do a miracle in your life today, what would you want it to be? And he's like, oh, no, 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 thanks. I'm a Muslim. And I said, all right, great. No, no problem. All right. So if Allah was going to do a miracle in your life today, what would you want it to be? And he's like, oh, no, no, I'm good. I'm, thank you, right? And, and so I'm just thinking, oh, this is not how my model is supposed to go for my guys, right? This is not working out so well. So I really just want to get out of the situation. That shows you how spiritual I am. Uh, so I, I asked the guy, I said, uh, well, you know, the Quran talks about Isa, uh, Jesus, and says that he, he did more miracles than anyone else, that he was just, you know, a powerful prophet. Do you believe this? And the guy says, yeah, I believe this. And I said, well, if he was that powerful, then, then he should be able to reveal to you if he's different than what you think. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I agree with that. So I said, well, then would you pray that if Isa is different than you think, that he would reveal that to you this, this week? All right, fine, yeah. And I'm thinking, whew, I'm off the, <laughs> off the X, right? Like, all right, who's going next, right? And, uh, and so one week later, I'm driving down the road, and this guy was just furious, right? He jumps in front of my car, just pissed beyond belief, and he's like, you need to give me a Bible. You made me pray that prayer. And Isa comes to me every night in my dreams now, and I can't sleep. And I'm like, oh, didn't see that coming, right? And uh, so I'm, I'm really good at follow-up. And so I don't get that guy a Bible. Um, <laughs> second week, he, this time, he jumps in front of my car again. He's really mad. Still, Isa is coming to him in his dreams every night. This has been two weeks. This time, he's not letting me go. He gets in my car and he's like, you are going to give me a Bible because I cannot sleep. It's been two weeks. So I take that guy home. Uh, one of my key guys, Amadou, uh, Muslim background believer, uh, I was discipling him. So I link these two guys up. Um, Amadou begins to disciple this guy and an entire network starts to flow through that guy as they go back into his home village and starting to, to spread the gospel. So that's just one example of how this, how this stuff was happening was it was like, what kind of strategy is that, right? Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm just going to share with people and let the Holy Spirit go wherever he goes. Yeah, kind of like the coronavirus. 
<laughs> Bingo, right, yeah. <laughs> you know, we don't know until we look and see the little dots all over the map. Okay, so, because um, I think most of us, most of the folks listening, even those that are pastor dudes, church leaders, all those that are listening to this podcast, they're like, okay, that's there. You're, you're sharing with a Muslim. That's got to be really rare. But that wasn't rare. You, you ran into a lot of folks that were receptive that were Muslim. Yeah, absolutely. So um, an, another Africa story um, that just highlights, this is a whole nother uh, area. Um, so when, when I was going over there, I had already known uh, Yoda Bill and I had spent quite a bit of time with Ying Kai and uh, you know, my heart was just on fire to go over and win that entire country for, for the Lord, right? Um, my wife and I were just pumped up. We're excited. Uncle Sam is, you know, going to pay us to be missionaries over there, which is always the best. You want to raise support, go to Uncle Sam. He pays well. Uh, right. So we're on our way over there. And, and as soon as I get there, um, some of the American missionaries that were already there felt that it was important to, to let me know how dangerous the Muslims were in that area. And they had talked about how uh, animism was there. Voodoo was rampant. Um, they had uh, like people out in the villages that were cannibals and they would eat other people, right? So they, they thought it was important to tell me this. And so early on when I got there, like I started to kind of get afraid, right? I mean, I was fearless when I went. And then as soon as I talked to them, I started to, to get scared a little bit because I, I mean, I've got a, a Bible degree, but they never really talked about if you get eaten by a Muslim, if you still <laughs> go to heaven. I don't know if you know anything about that, Phil. Uh, I'm still searching. I don't know. I don't, know. Uh, yeah. I don't right? know, but I want you to, I want you to find out and tell me. No, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not testing that one. So, I mean, here I am in Africa and I'm like, well, what happens if I get eaten by Muslim? That's not cool. Right. Um, so there was a, the second largest mosque in the city was right down the street from me. And so I, I, I had been praying for that mosque, but when you have that kind of fear in your heart, you, you might, you might say one thing, but but if I'm being honest, like in my heart, I'm, I'm really believing, like, I don't think God really works in the mosque. I don't think God is really with them. How could he be with those Muslims? I mean, they eat people, right? Right, right. And so um, uh, I'm just praying, God, would you do something in that mosque? I, I really want to see a movement in the mosque. And, and I had it on my heart to, uh, to go over there and, and knock on the door, and, which sounds crazy, right? But it was, it was on my heart, but there was so much fear. There was no way I was going to knock on that door. So I'm working in the embassy and we get a threat report that there, uh, there's a terrorist attack planned in our city. And, um, the, the way the attack is supposed to go down is there's a, a bunch of jihadis that just plan on going through the city and they're just going to shoot Westerners, which, um, that, that would be me, Phil. I, I was right. a Westerner, right? So, right. so I, was, I was a bit concerned, right? And in West Africa, Western, like I stand out because um, I don't know if you remember this from the last time we met, but I'm white and in West <laughs> Africa. Uh, yeah, there's not a lot of white people, right? But my wife is blonde hair, blue eyes. So she's really white. Like when right. she walks down the street, it's like a, a you know, vanilla ice cream cone just walking down the street. So she really stands out. So... When this threat comes, I'm thinking there is no way, like, we're not going outside. And I mean, I, 
I've done, done the army for 25 years, right? So I know security. So um, in West Africa, it's like an anthill all the time, right? It's always dangerous to go on the streets except Sunday morning. That's the only day you can go out. And so Sunday mornings were when my wife wanted to go for a run. And so this Sunday morning was the day that that attack was supposed to happen. And I'm like, there's no way we're going to go up. But my wife says, there's no stupid terrorist that's going to prevent me from going on my run. And so like, I'm, I'm, you know, I've been married long enough. There's like, I'm going with you. <laughs> All right. So, so we go out, we're, we're, you know, finishing up our run. We're coming towards the end and we come around the corner and like, there they are. It's like, it looks like tombstone, just this group of Muslims, like full Bobo, just walking down the street, shoulder to shoulder. And I'm just thinking to myself, are you kidding me, God? This is how this is going to go down. Like here on the streets of West Africa, probably going to get eaten. And I'm going to be the guy that like goes down. And so, uh, as we, as we, uh, get closer, I just feel it really heavy on my heart. I, I don't have conscious thoughts really, but it was just overwhelming that I needed to go up and talk to the most Muslim looking of the Muslim guys there. So I just went up and greeted this guy, greet, greet him in Arabic, uh, assalamu alaikum. Uh, and then I used like the full extent of all of my Arabic. And, uh, I say, when I'm not, I'm near home, which means where's a good restaurant here. Cause that's all I really knew. Right. And, uh, and he responds with, I don't speak Arabic. And so I said, Oh my goodness. How, you know, how do you, uh, how do you read the Quran? He says, well, I just, I learned the Quran from what other people tell me. I said, Ooh. Oh my goodness. Oh, okay. I said, well, you know, do you have a Quran in French? No, I don't. I said, well, the Quran says, if you have any questions, you should consult the, uh, the Injil, the book, right? The, the, the gospels. And he says, yeah, I believe that. I said, do you have an Injil in French? No, I've never seen one. And I said, well, I have both a Quran and an Injil in French. Would you want to study those with me? And he said, absolutely. I would love to study those with you. So all of a sudden I'm like, man, God is actually with the Muslims. Like, oh my gosh. Right. And so, but I mean, I'm, I'm really starting to gain a little bit of confidence, but I'm still like, I don't want to meet this guy in private, like in a kitchen or anything. Right. Cause I'm still not right. too sure about that. And like we meet in a kitchen and I could end up as dinner. <laughs> so I said, well, where would you like to meet? And he says, well, you can come back to, uh, to the mosque. I'm the imam at the mosque. Wow. And he was the imam of the mosque I had been praying for. And that opened up a whole new line of discipleship. Um, I had another guy who was a former imam who had come to know the Lord, had led over 100,000 Muslims to Christ. So I linked those guys up and he started to disciple the imam who then started to lead everybody in his mosque. He started telling all of them about Jesus. Wow. So, yeah. Well, um, okay. So I think that there's, there's several trigger points. One, I think a lot of people listening are going to wait, wait a minute. There's a, a guy that's an imam and he does not have a Quran in the language he speaks. Correct. You know, so that opens up a whole different conversation. But the other, and I'm just curious about this. And I've, I've never asked you this question before. Uh, God's got his hand on you. You're, you're sharing your faith and you're doing it disciple by disciple by disciple, having, leaving a wake of, of generational disciples behind you. But at the same time, and I won't, we won't get into it on the podcast, but, you know, you're on a significant career path within the military. You're, you're on a select career path. Mm -hmm. Did you ever get pushback from any of your uh, superiors? Did ever anybody ever say, you know what, you got to tone this whole Christianity stuff down? 
Uh, yeah, one time uh, I had a no place left lanyard on, and uh, I was in the embassy, and I was in a country team meeting. Uh, the ambassador was leading the country team meeting, and uh, the ambassador had no idea what no place left meant, or not no place left. Uh, I am second. I am right, second. right. And uh, so the ambassador in country team asked me what that means. And uh, so I, I told him what it means. Uh, I'm second. Jesus Christ is first in my life. And uh, as I started to tell a little bit more, the ambassador just shut me down and said, there will be no more of that. Uh, so he made it clear <laughs> yeah. where he stands. <laughs> yeah, we, we want to point out that ambassadors are just appointed and often because they gave money. Correct. Correct. <laughs> um, uh, I think it's important though, Phil, you, you brought up uh, my career a couple times and, and I'm, I'm really glad that you did because I think it's absolutely vital that full-time church staff recognize this, that when we begin to interact and experience Jesus on a new level, when we, when we begin to hear God's voice in our life and we obey, like God wants to use each one of us to a whole new level that the world has never seen before, right in our profession, right? You can, you can see this a little bit in, in like Luke 5 when Jesus shows up and Peter is there. Uh, they just got done with a whole night of fishing. Peter's a professional fisherman. Um, the first piece, Peter's working on his nets. And, and all throughout scripture, you know, we see that we're called to look up. You look up to God. You look in at yourself. You look out. At, at other people, right? Look up, look in, look out. But when Jesus walks up to Peter, Peter's just looking down, just look like working on his nets. And that's what most of us do our whole lives is we just do stuff. We're always looking down at our work. We never pay attention to, really to any, even in the church, we get so busy with programs and the business side of church that we can spend our whole ministry career looking down at our nets. But Jesus shows up and says, hey, it's time to look up. And that's probably the first time ever in Peter's life where he just stops for a second and looks up at Jesus. And then he lets Jesus get in his boat, which is always, you know, an unsafe decision. You never know what's coming after that. But if you watch what happens after that, Jesus starts to talk. Peter starts to hear him and obey, and he pushes him out. Jesus never calls us to just hang out, sit on the couch, be comfortable and relax. But Jesus has Peter push him out, take the next step into G, uh, Peter's profession, and then push me out into the deep, push me out a little bit more. And now Peter, who had been fishing all night in his profession, Jesus says, throw your nets out again. So Jesus engages Peter in his profession. And when Peter obeys in his profession, Jesus makes him more fruitful than Peter had ever been before. Like so much that his boats start to, to swamp because he's got so many fish in there. And the same principle is true. If we find who we are in Christ, that is our identity. And we take that identity into our profession. We don't get our identity from our profession. But when we go into our profession with our identity in Christ, he will make us more fruitful than we had ever seen ever before. See, that's, and honestly, Jeff, that's why from the time I met you a few years ago, I wanted to uh, have this conversation on the podcast and share it because uh, I think you know, I'm, I'm a pastor dude. And that was my background. And my dad was a pastor. So I grew up in that environment. And when I was in, in high school, I remember going to like a church camp and there would be a, at the end of the week, it's like, okay, who wants to make decisions about going into full-time Christian service as if that's, you know, if it, only if you get a paycheck, are you in full-time Christian service? Um, and 
the whole idea of, okay, where has God placed you? Where that sphere of influence, that track that you're on, mm -hmm. and how do you realize it? I was reading the other day, there was a, an NBA player, I wish I could remember his name, and he is um, a Jehovah Witness, and he was going to turn down a contract, a contract extension that was 10 or $12 million a year because he's you know pretty successful in the NBA. And because of his faith as a Jehovah Witness, he thought he needed to you know concentrate on that. Mm -hmm. And I'm not pushing Jehovah Witness of any, by any means. Mm -hmm. That would not be my decision. But at the same time, I look at it and say, okay, I don't think that's a God plan. Right. I, I think it's like, okay, why do we think the only way that we can use our skills, gifts, and passions is if I get hired somewhere in a Christian organization rather than where's God got me? Where mm -hmm. am I? How do I bloom where I plant? How am I going wherever I go and taking the Great Commission with me? And, there, and that's why I wanted to share your stories because as you have, and I wish we can't even go into it without, you know, getting into stuff you're not allowed to talk about, but you've had a very colorful career in the mm -hmm. military and in diplomacy. And because of that, it's put you in a lot of places that'd be hard for Phil Lane to get into. Right. But you have been able to share your faith and leave behind disciples. That's the message I wanted this to, to talk about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so literally just yesterday, I was in a government, a major government facility, um, a big government organization, one that uh, most, most Christians would, well, actually, the guy I was talking to, I found out later, is, is a Christian, um, and in his like 20-year career in the, in the government, has never been willing to let anyone know that he is a believer. Right. Um, and, and there's just, when, when we learn to listen to God, so it just comes back to John 10, 27, right? That my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. So if we just get back to the core of what is this all about, right? Is it about building a, a church? Is it about building a ministry or is it about helping people be transformed by, a, by experiencing God in a new way? If that's what it is, then we can figure out new ways of communicating the same gospel message in ways that are palatable in different environments. And, and that's what we've done. And so I was talking with this guy and just walking him along and he's just enthralled. And I mean, there's a Hindu right there. There was a, a Muslim. Um, just the other day, I was sharing with an outspoken, almost violent atheist. And, and all of these people they're not opposed to the love of Christ. They're opposed to the loaded church language that we use. Right. And when you share the love of Christ in different ways with them, you know what? That the, the violent atheist actually asked me if I would come back to help walk with her and find her identity because she, okay. Doesn't, okay. she doesn't know who she is. Okay. So before we run out of time, because that's, that's exactly where I wanted to go is I know for a fact uh, from talking to you that you in your work day, you've got a very close knit team that you've worked with. Yeah. And that, and that close knit team though, they're not all, you know, Bible believing Christians. No, but yet they're very aware of your faith. So just unpack that for two or three minutes on how you navigate. Cause I know on your team, you've got all that represented Muslims, yeah. Hindus, whatever. Um, yeah. And yet, cause I think a lot of people listening are like, how do I do that? without blowing my foot off or getting shut down by the superiors or whatever, um, speak yeah. to that. Yeah. 
So a couple principles that I, that I really firmly believe in, um, they will know you by your fruit. That's, that's important to me, right? Um, mm-hmm. Another one is, is uh, I believe sharing our faith is vital. Um, sharing our faith is usually different than sharing our doctrine. And, you know, if, if all you do is just share your doctrine, you're probably going to get punched in the face, right? Um, right? So if we understand faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, then all of a sudden I can bring my faith into my work. And when I'm sharing my faith, I'm just explaining, I believe that this major problem set, government problem set that I've been faced with, I believe my God is big enough to fix that, right? For instance, like if, if I'm given the task of like, I want you to end the opioid epidemic in America. If I go to God and I say, God, is there a way to end the opioid epidemic? Do you honestly think the creator of the universe is going to say, man, Jeff, that one's probably too big for me. I don't right. think I have a way to fix No, God's going to come back and he's going to say, if you are fearless and you will just obey me, I will show you a way to end it. So I firmly believe that. I believe if I just shut my mouth and I listen, there is no problem too big for me to ask my God, how do you fix this? And when he tells me to do something, I just share that. So people know that I'm stepping out in faith. And I firmly believe that as I step in faith and I just obey what he's telling me, the fruit of that faith will be made evident to people. Now, when I first started walking with the team that I've got now, they were polite and they listened, but they saw the fruit and miraculous things started to happen through our work and things where they're like, holy cow, our government has been trying to do that for 30 years and we've never, and you just did it. How did you do something that hasn't been done for 30 years? All of a sudden now they're listening because they know you by your fruit, right? And so once I did that, I started to invite people, Muslims, Hindus, atheists. I started to invite them to walk in my faith with me. And the way I do that is I just explain to them what I'm doing and how, as I go along and, and we're to the point now where they openly talk to each other about the gospel and they use that word, the gospel, and they talk about Jesus and they know because I'm talking about it in a very palatable way. And I'm, I'm talking about as I walk in faith that they now talk with each other about it. Okay. So last thing, uh, and then we'll put a bow on it. Um, when we were together at Expo, you were gone, of course, um, from your team and you're on a, a text thread with all your folks. Mm-hmm. And there was, there was something, I don't remember the whole story, but it was like, okay, Jeff's not here. So it's my, I'm going to share, even yeah. though they're not all Christians. Right. Yeah. So um, we've worked on um, with the team on ways of uh, like what hinders us from hearing from God. And usually it's fear, right? It could be fear, guilt, or shame, but typically it's fear. And so I've worked with all of these non-believers on what things in your life are you afraid of and what are negative feelings? Like for instance, I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough, right? And when we have these fears, our only options are to self-promote or self-protect. So if we, can, if we can get to the core of what those fears are and say, I want to live fearlessly, all of a sudden we can start to hear from God. Now, the big question is, well, how do non-believers hear from God? And my response is, does God ever speak to non-believers? 
like cover to cover of the Bible. Everyone <laughs> he speaks to is a non-believer, right? So absolutely God will speak to a non-believer. So if I can get them to start to reflect in, to look in, right? And who am I? What am I actually afraid of? What am I believing false about myself? And what am I believing false about God? If I can get non-believers to start to look at these things and ponder these questions, what am I believing false? All of a sudden, false is brought into the light and the truth can begin to come through. And we all know God is truth, right? I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And he also says, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So if I can get non-believers to start to identify false that they're believing and start to accept truth, it's just a matter of time before they start to walk with Christ and, and walk into the kingdom. Jeff, you're a good man. You're one of my favorite people in the world. And, you're my favorite, uh, Phil. I don't care what anybody else says about you. I really like you. <laughs> that's just because I bought dinner last night. <laughs> I'll get hey, you next time. Next time I'm in Northern Virginia, I'm going to uh, call and we're going to hang out. And, Please uh, do. Maybe even shoot a gun. Oh, now you're talking Ooh. my love oh. language right there. Okay. Hey, Jeff McDaniel's been my guest. He's career military, but God's used him in amazing ways. Wherever he's been on his path in West Africa, helping plant a thousand house churches and see 10,000 folks baptized because of the generational discipleship stuff that he walks in. And it was cool to hang out with him at Exponential talking about ch with church planters. And it's cool to hang out on the podcast with him. Jeff, I appreciate it, man. Thanks, Phil. Thanks, Tim. Thank you. Thanks to Jeff. Uh, it was fantastic as I knew it would be. I just not too long ago had the opportunity to share with him in a workshop in Orlando, Florida. So thank you, Jeff McDaniel, and your conversation about discipleship. Thank you all for listening to The Giving Leader. Make sure you go to thegivingchurch.com and you can find out more information about our podcast, about a free book that we have that you can download. But thanks for listening. This is Phil Ling with The Giving Leader.